Big Rick Podcast. The best of the biggest interviews from Big Rick in the Morning on iHeartRadio, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or anywhere podcasts are heard. See more info now at onairwithrick.com. All right, good morning. It is our State of the State segment, sponsored by our friends at United Producers and in studio. I have been graced with the presence of the Honorable Congressman Brett Guthrie. Well, Welcome. I've, I've been graced to be home in Bowling Green, yeah. so it's nice to be here today. Sounds it's like fun to do it with a phone call, but it's always great to be home. Yeah, well, we appreciate you coming in. So you've had a little bit, like a little bit off time at home the last few days, right? Well, we have a, a, on a few occasions, we have a couple of days during the week that, that we're, mm-hmm. we're home. And so we'll go back Monday, so we'll be back in session Monday. Yeah. We have to do our spending, end of year spending bills. Yeah. And, and things that have been, quite honestly, we're behind on, we're delayed on. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, uh, my side of the aisle doesn't have the gavel that decides what's getting voted on. It's Speaker yeah. Pelosi and her crew, and currently they are not making much progress yeah. on anything. I talked to Representative Comer the other day, and he it, let's just jump right into okay. it. The, the U.S. Canada Mexico trade agreement. You, you told me off here, not much going on there, and he also kind of said the same thing. So, talk about what this is, what it means for Kentucky, and how important it would be to get it passed. Well, it's it's not so it's. You know, back in the Clinton years, it was NAFTA, uh, mm-hmm. and it's very important for agriculture. The, the things that we export, uh, when NAFTA passed, I mean, if you lived in Morgantown, which is unknown in our listing area, and worked for Sumitomo, it had a negative impact on you. Yeah. But for our farmers and other people, it had a very positive impact. We're able to ship to, to, to ship product. And so the president came in and said, when he ran for office, he says NAFTA had jobs go overseas. Jo- I mean, jobs go to Mexico, not necessarily overseas. Across the border, Mexico and Canada. And mm-hmm. so he wanted to renegotiate. And he did with the Mexican president, with uh, Pierre, uh, not Pierre Trudeau, but just uh, Prime Minister Trudeau. Yeah, from, Canada. Uh, yeah, this, uh, from Canada. And came up with a new deal. Now it has to be approved by Congress. And it's mm-hmm. been ready. It's been out there. The administration's been working. Uh, Speaker Pelosi um, hasn't brought it for a vote. And... We're, they have the most of the votes will probably be Republican votes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, just a group of people in Washington D.C. from the left that just doesn't want the president to have any success on anything, yeah. uh, and so it's probably going to be a majority of Republican votes with a handful of Democrat votes. And the speaker's very sensitive to that. Um, there are things that President Obama wanted to do that was just had to get done to govern, and a lot of times John Boehner and Paul Ryan would bring them to the floor, get a majority of Democrat votes and enough Republicans to put it over. The, over the top, and mm-hmm. Boehner got criticized for it. Ryan got criticized for it, and Nancy Pelosi, when we funded the border, um, taking care of the children at the border that the Democrats mostly all block voted against. So we got enough Democrats to pass that. Got a lot of flack for mm-hmm. doing that. So she's uh, she's gonna have to decide if she's gonna govern or she's gonna go down the road to impeachment. That's yeah. what she's got to decide. And if she decides to go down the road of impeachment, they say they can do two things at the same, t- both things at the same time: govern and impeach. She couldn't sit in the room with the president the other day, so I don't know how they're going to govern if they continue to go down this path. Well, they, there's just they don't even let Republicans sit in to, on the hearings, you know, yeah. on the meetings that are going on. Well, let's let's transition to the impeachment thing, which is something we've had on the list to talk about. You know, you talk about you're, you're needing to have a working government, but I've seen reports that if they go down the impeachment road, it could take months. It can take months, months to particularly do. the way they're doing it. Um, so, so this. There's been a group in Washington, D.C., if you remember uh, Rashida Tlaib, mm-hmm. uh, before, the night before she was sworn in to Congress in 2018, says she was going to impeach, and she used a term that I won't use, uh, that had to get bleeped out on the air. We're going to impeach him. Uh, it's, if you go back to the beginning of the Trump presidency, people have talked about that. So it's like a group of people walking around looking for a reason to impeach. Yeah. So what 
we couldn't understand is how all at the beginning is how all of a sudden this phone call to the president of the Ukraine became the crescendo of impeachment when nobody knew what had happened. What we didn't know at the time was the whistleblower mm-hmm. who did not tell the inspector general that they're supposed to tell that had met with congressional staff, met with congressional staff, Adam Schiff's staff, prior to putting out the whistleblower. So, so Adam Schiff knew the whistleblower complaint. If you read it, I think it, it essentially says the president eight times mm-hmm. on the phone call did a quid pro quo. The reason he said it, either one, he made it up, or two, he didn't have firsthand knowledge. So he, was, he or she, because we don't know who it is, was just piecing together information for people that were on the phone call, who, by mm-hmm. the way, violated the law by telling somebody that wasn't on the phone call what happened on the phone call. If they thought it was incorrect, wrong, they, they, have, they should tell the inspector general. So. Well, well, let me ask you this, and I want to tell our listeners, the premise of State of the State is, is for me as the host to mm-hmm. remain unbiased, but I have right. to ask the question, you know, in that phone call, he did say, hey, can you do me a favor? Now, President Trump has had a long documented history of being somewhat informal with the way he talks and the way he does things and mm-hmm. presents things. Right. So we could say it falls in that category. But, you know, how do you feel about that? Let me I mean, explain that. So, so okay, I, yeah. I'll get to that because that's important. Because yeah. then all of a sudden they thought this phone call had all this other stuff in it, mm-hmm. which it didn't because the president put out the transcript. So the transcript of, of the call, he did mention Joe Biden yeah. and Hunter Biden, and he shouldn't have, that shouldn't have happened. That, that would be, we'd be far better off that that didn't happen. Right. But that's not what he said, we do me a favor. People put those two together. That wasn't in the phone call. He said, would you do me a favor on the corruption about the 2016 campaign, and it was about what originated uh, a lot of the. There's there's a strong belief and strong evidence that a lot of the issues that came out of the 26 campaign that was used to say the Russian probes and all those other things that move forward came out of the Ukraine. Hmm. The Ukraine was notoriously corrupt, so you got to know that in the law funding a lot of this military aid is called the National Defense Authorization Act mandated that the president certify that Ukraine was making progress on corruption before he leased the money. Mm-hmm. So the question is, why was the president, and I think it's what Mick Mulvaney tried to say, I'm not, I don't know because I'm not, I haven't been privileged to any of the hearings if they're trying to say the president held the money up because of corruption. Mm-hmm. It's not in the phone call, and, and the Ukraine president didn't say that. But Congress told the president to hold the money unless you can certify they're moving forward on corruption. Ah, okay. And the most corrupt thing that, that is out there was how what happened during the Ukraine in the 2016 election. So how does the Ukrainians you, brought a new president in who was going to get to the bottom of corruption? Yeah. So how you know? Let's just you know. Obviously, there, there's a big gray area there. Let's just call it that. But how is Ukraine going to certify that they aren't corrupt? Well, the president would have to certify they're making. Well, you do that. It, it's it's a difficult process. Right. You through your diplomats or your people there that they're making progress. It wouldn't okay. say they weren't corrupt. They have to make progress towards cleaning up the corruption. In gotcha. Ukraine. That was mandated by Congress. Mm-hmm. So the people who voted for that, I think most of the people in the Armed Services Committees on the Democrat side voted for that. But anyway, so so the phone call comes out, mm-hmm. and it didn't say what the whistleblower said it said. So if you remember, Adam Schiff says, he comes immediately after he releases the transcript, says, well, it's not what the president said. It's what he didn't say. Mm-hmm. Well, how are you going to impeach the president what he was th- what he didn't say when you don't know what he was thinking? And then Adam Schiff went as far as writing his own transcript based on what he thought the president was thinking, but he read it like it was a transcript of the phone call in an open hearing into the record, and he got roundly criticized by that. 
Then they bring uh, a, a Ukrainian uh, a, a diplomat to the Ukraine to Ukraine named Volker, whose story didn't tell. They who they were asking him questions, leading him down a path to to, to tell their story. Hmm. And when he got cross-examined by John Ratliff and others, the story fell apart. And so all of a sudden, it wasn't going down the path they wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Adam Schiff got in trouble for making up, essentially making up what the president said, to the, the cross-examination from the Republican side was exposing they didn't really have any there there. So what do they do? They go to a secret room <laughs> where all secret, the room is set up for classified briefings, mm-hmm. not public hearings. The room is satisfied if I'm a member of Congress wanting to get a classified briefing on something that's going on in the world that I have the right to, to know, then I go into this specific place in the Capitol building. That's where they're holding hearings about impeaching the president in a classified set. It was not a classified hearing. They're taking it there because nobody has access to it because it's all behind right. big doors and you can't take any um, information inside there. So my point to that, if they really believe the president should be impeached, they're going to go down the path of saying we're, we're not going to govern for the next year. We're going to impeach the president. The evidence needs to be clear and convincing. I think the American people are fair. Mm-hmm. And giving the American people a fair and open and transparent process, that's what the Democrats did for Nixon. Uh, that was on time. I'm old and I was 10 years old in 1974. And mm-hmm. not that I wanted to watch Watergate, I wanted to watch probably the Flintstones in the afternoon. <laughs> but every time I came home from school or in from play, that's what was on television. And they made the case the president should go. The Republicans did the same thing, ended up impeaching the president. But I think history will say uh, Clinton. So the question is, should Trump have mentioned the Bidens? No, I don't think so in that phone call. Clinton admitted to a crime. Mm-hmm. He did commit a crime. It's a high crimes and misdemeanors. What is that? But I think the American people and probably history will say that didn't rise to the point that the president should have been impeached. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, are we going to go now? Or because I, what I think happened, sum up everything I said, by their backdoor information, secondhand from the whistleblower, the Democrats in the House got way out in front of this. They started the impeachment inquiry prior to releasing of the transcript. Mm-hmm. And now that they saw there's no there there, they're trying to create it. And when they saw they weren't creating it in a way, they're creating it in secret and leaking out specific pieces of information that I'm not privileged to. That's where a group of, of my colleagues, I was actually in another hearing at the time trying to defend some other stuff for the president went down and said, we, want, we have the right as a member of Congress to sit through any hearing. Yeah. And they says, no, then they stopped the hearing until they left. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I don't know what's going on in those hearings. All that we see is what's coming out, and it's always very biased towards the president. And people who have been in those hearings, who are honorable people and will not tell me what they heard in those hearings, all they'll say is, when you see the cross-examination of those witnesses, mm-hmm. and when they take what was leaked out and really question them on that, you're not going you're going to say that the president should not be impeached. I also asked Representative Comer about the the uh, Nancy Pelosi saying there's not gonna, there's not going to be a vote on an impeachment inquiry. Am I phrasing that correctly? Yes, she said we're not going to vote to move forward and set up sets of procedures and rules. So it's it's make it up as you go. Mm-hmm. It's when it when it backfires on you because you made stuff up in the public and it backfires, just go to a secret room. Yeah. That's what they're that's they're making up as they go. Whereas under Nixon and Clinton, and they said, if you go back to Andrew Johnson, it was just so far back, it's hard to bring those to parallels. But under Nixon and Clinton, there was a vote and had rules of procedure. The president was allowed to be represented by an attorney, the Mm -hmm. minority, the Republicans in the case of Nixon, the Democrats under the Newt Gingrich gave Democrats the ability to subpoena 
and to redirect witnesses. Hmm. And that's what happened. And now it's all done in secret and made up as you go. It's not the way to run a government. It's not the way that, uh, that you should go about. If they really believe they have a case to impeach the president, they need to make the case. Yeah. Not just to us. This is a case that needs to be made to the American people. I think there's no there there. They're trying to make it to themselves. Yeah. Well, one final follow-up question, and uh, I'll try to <laughs> cushion this as much as I can. Um, so I've seen the president tweet, and I've seen some other members of Congress tweet that this is an illegal uh, a legal way to try to impeach a president. Would you agree with that or no? You say an illegal way to try to yeah, impeach a president? Yeah, I, I remember him tweeting something like, this is an illegal What's, uh, impeachment proceeding I think or it's something. extremely unfair. Okay. It's absolutely extremely yeah. unfair. You know, what's legal is what 218 members of the House say. Mm-hmm. And so there are, there are 31 Democrats that are sitting in seats that were won by President Trump. And she doesn't want them to have to take a vote on whether or not this should go forward because they know the people that they represent probably don't want it to go forward. But the fact that they're not stopping it from going forward, because mm-hmm. those 31 could vote with 200 Republicans, it only takes 218 to say, yeah. to, to take control of this. They won't do it. So their silence means that they're complicit. And so it, I don't know if the word illegal, but it certainly isn't authorized by the House of Representatives. It is unfair. It's mm-hmm. not transparent. And I think the American people, at the soul of the American people, is a sense of fairness and want this process to be out in the open. So well, let's say that she does decide to bring this to a vote. Do you think that with what the way they're doing it now, it would be legal for them to bring all that stuff that they're doing that the secret well they could vote on it tomorrow but think about this would you like, want would you want it? to be a member of congress and <laughs> vote to impeach the president when you're not privileged to know what's going on in right. the hearings i mean that that's what they're asking members of, now they're saying well eventually this is all going to be done in public right why not do it in the public now yeah why not do it in the public now it it's is just, a little backwards it is, it is absolutely yeah. backwards so they could vote tomorrow if they want to yeah it's so it'd be legal because it takes 218 members of Congress to, to say what Congress does. Yeah. Now, Congress, you, a member of Congress can't violate the law. Right. But right. but a member, but the rules of Congress are determined by 218 people. Mm-hmm. So when a member of a Democrat member in a district representative that was won by President Trump just says, well, this is Nancy Pelosi, they could stop her. Yeah. Because they could vote with us. It's, and we could stop this yeah. or at least bring it out into the open. If this could be resolved today, do you have a plan for that? Like, what what would you do to get this resolved today? Well, there is nothing in the phone call. I've seen that's impeachable. I yeah. mean, just absolutely nothing in the phone call. So people keep saying, is, is what you're seeing come out of these hearings changed your mind? That's what somebody asked me yesterday in the media. Mm-hmm. I said, I don't know what's going on in the hearings. I can't change my mind based on yeah. one thing or the other. Everything, I've read the transcript. The transcript is doesn't say anything. Matter of fact, the favor in Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, as you brought up, isn't in the same section of it. It's not. The favor wasn't Hunter Biden. The favor was looking into the corruption of the 2016 election mm-hmm. that we believe is going to come out in Inspector General's report that activity in the Ukraine and corrupt people in the Ukraine were part of all of that. Right. And, and the president went through two years of a special prosecutor, special counsel, going through his presidency. Mm-hmm. And I think it's fair, as we as a nation, want to know what really started all of it. What, yeah. Did it start in the Ukraine? And and it could have. I mean, we don't know that. That's what we're trying to find out. Um, especially when Congress tells the president to make sure that, con- that that Ukraine is making progress on corruption before you release the money. That's that's in the law. That's actually in the law. So w- one final impeachment question. I don't want this to be the entire conversation we have. I, I well, that's what's going on in Washington. I, I, don't, I, don't, I think wanna, people are interested. I don't want to press you too much on this. But no, that's fine. It, 
I, I think that they're, you know, just as a citizen, the way I'm looking at this, I'll share my personal view, mm-hmm. is, for one, I'm fatigued. <laughs> I, it's not Republican or Democrat. I'm just fatigued as a regular citizen by this. What, what could the president do better to prevent maybe for this happening again? Could he handle phone calls better? I mean, he has to have some responsibility in this, right? Well, I mean, how's, I, I think, well, the thing about when President Obama first came into office, I mm-hmm. got elected the same year he came into office. So I got sworn in about three weeks before. President Obama got sworn in, big day, two million people on the mall. I mean, it was a, a big day. And, John, we, were, we had really got beat in the election. I mean, election have consequences, and we got beat, and we got beat bad. There were probably 170 of us. There were, as after that, 2010, there was like 230-something of us, probably mm-hmm. 170 of us. And Boehner says, before we go out and start, being, we're going to be the loyal opposition. That's that's part of our constitutional response or our our responsibility. But remember, this guy won big. He's the president. We need to find ways to work with him. And that never. The day after President Trump was inaugurated, there were a million people on the mall protesting him and screaming, "Signs up for impeachment from day one." So I'm not sure what he could have done to prevent this from going. I think it was just so. There's just so much animosity towards him and certain mm-hmm. groups, packs, groups of people. Um, certain parts of, uh, of our country that it, it is uh, it, maybe we're, we're going to go one way or the other. Well, I, I, well, it takes th- leaders to say, no, that's not where we're going. We had that before. And when you right. talked about the IRS, think about the most egregious thing that's happened since I've been in Washington. Mm-hmm. The IRS, under the President Obama's administration, we don't know how high it went because the press was not interested in it, nor could we get any cooperation with the White House to see. Yeah. So when they talk about cooperation— the IRS was looking into tax returns of conservatives, and we know that. I mean, we know yeah. they said it only went as high as a regional that. office. Um, those are things we wanted to look at as well, and it didn't can get the press to move forward. So those are, but we gave President Obama an opportunity to govern, and I would say even when we won the majority in 2010, we gave him an opportunity to work yeah. together. And, well, maybe I could revise my question just a little bit because maybe I phrased it wrong. What what I mean is because of the phone call, because of some other things the president has said that has caused some heads to turn on both sides of the aisle. How could he communicate better? How could how could everybody just work together better to maybe get some things done? Because it just sounds like right now everything's at a stalemate. You know, what what's, what what do you propose? It is a stalemate, and, and, I, yeah. and I wish I had a magic wand to fix it. I mean, the president. Where's it at? It would have been better for him not to, to <laughs> fix, uh, to, to mention the Bidens on the. Yeah. On the phone call. Um, and, and I don't want to point fingers just at the president. That's not but what even, I'm trying to do. But so. him mentioning that, if you read it in the context that it was, that's not, to me, yeah. an impeachable offense. Some people will right. say, just because he even brought him up, it's an impeachable I offense. I mean, I remember I mean, there was reading, some question about what happened in the in Ukraine yeah. with Vice President Biden with his son making $50,000 a month for a, a, a gas company. Now, most, if you say that, immediately the mainstream or media will be, well, there's no argument of corruption. I say, there's been no accus- there's been no credible accusation right. of corruption, except the vice mm-hmm. president of the United States son is making fifty thousand dollars a month from a group that was being investigated. Not a Hunter Biden was being mm-hmm. investigated. And uh, he was so he's making six hundred thousand dollars a year with no experience whatsoever in gas and oil. And right. until we look into that, probably it, should that be legal? Yeah, we should fix that where dependents and yeah. or family intermediate family members of Vice presidents, presidents, and members of Congress shouldn't get those kind of gigs, those I, kind of jobs. I remember reading his excerpt of the transcript, and even, I mean, I read what he said in the phone call, and I was even, I was kind of like, well, I'm not, I don't understand what the uproar is here. Because 
quite frankly, what he was saying was kind of confusing to me because, mm-hmm. you know, President Trump makes, you know, four or five statements in like one sentence. He, springs, he, yeah. he talks in stream so of consciousness. It's hard to yes. follow sometimes. So my guess, he wasn't speaking from a, a list yeah. of things the State Department said here yeah. to speak. He was having a personal. He, he really likes having personal yeah. connections with people. He really mm-hmm. likes that. I mean, a lot of people see him in the in the the big settings and the big rallies and 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 in the press conference and things like that. But he is really good, and I think people from both sides. I would say that about President Obama. Mm-hmm. President Obama wasn't as friendly, and and I don't think it was just because of myself being a Republican. But he was he was really nice to talk to, right? But but President Trump really seems to be interested in what you're talking about, what's going on. Mm-hmm. So I think when he gets on these phone calls, he thinks his personal diplomacy. Uh, and his personal relationships is what is going to help him work with these foreign leaders, and he tries to build that. And I don't yeah. think he sit there going, here are the five things in U.S. foreign policy that we want to deal with with Ukraine. It yeah. was, hey, let's have a conversation on the telephone. Man, we just hit uh, minute 20 on this, so <laughs> I'm going to move on because I, I, I don't want to press you too much on that. But uh, fascinating to hear you talk about that. Thank you for, for your uh, your. Commentary on that, okay, I guess, thanks. is the way to phrase it. Well, I get to see it from a unique perspective. The yeah. people of the second district allow me to have a unique view, and and I want to share it with people yeah. what I and what I really believe. So let's uh, let's talk about uh, your legislative. Oh, I'm sorry, let me stop right there. I'll edit this out. So let's move on to the Support Act. Okay. And uh, the last time you were here, we touched on this a little bit, but you recently had an op-ed on this, right? Yes, the Support Act. My so the Support Act is trying to support is is a piece of legislation a lot of it is grants a lot of it is different strategies on dealing with the opioid crisis yeah so the specific thing that i work for is to make sure that we have opportunities for people who go into rehab go into recovery to have the proper recovery that's based on them there's essentially three buckets of recovery one is faith-based 12 step it works for some people you know it's a higher power and, and they're able just to say no Mm-hmm. And it's not just say no and they're okay. They go through a 12-step process and move forward. Second bucket is, is a medical-assisted where you get Suboxone, you get some methadone, would be like methadone. It's Suboxone now. And that helps you. Um, buprenorphine, I think, it takes the edge like, off and it does, takes away your – and I'm not sure exactly because I'm not a physician, but essentially gives you enough to not crave. Right. But you're still functional. Mm-hmm. And then the third one is, a, is, I don't know why they don't put it in the same bucket as Vivitrol, which is one that actually prevents you from craving of opioids. Opioids okay. has no effect on you. Yeah. And that's new. It's one of those blockbuster drugs that are out there. Um, and so, so my, is, my view is let's create recovery centers. Typically, somebody will go to a recovery center mm-hmm. based on word of mouth. This worked for me. This worked. Well, if you go to a faith-based only, you may need medical assistance training. If you go to medical assistance training, you may, not, you may be able to get off by faith-based only. So mm-hmm. the idea is you go to one stop shop. I guess would be the with that, with trying to describe it that yeah. you get assessed and put into the proper setting for your your uh, needs. Okay, and and better s- chance of success of recovery. How is this uh, integrated into the criminal justice system? Well, that's a big question. So the thing is, uh, it's a good question. A lot of the drug laws are state and local, and I think our general assembly has really moved forward. Um, we're President Trump has really led an effort on criminal justice reform that we are trying to uh, make it where it's not a crime to show up for recovery. I mean, it's a crime to you. Drugs are illegal, but not treat you as a criminal. A lot of people in recovery have criminal records, mm-hmm. but, but they got the criminal records supporting their habit. If you took care of their habit, took care of their, their disorder, yeah. then you would take care of their criminal behavior. Mm-hmm. And so why throw them in jail and throw away the key when 
what they really need is to get sober. Yeah. But there are some people who are just bad people that act in this. As a matter of fact, the worst people in the drug trade aren't users because that that prevents you from being a good pusher. Matter of fact, there, if you read a book called Dreamland that really give any of your listeners a Dreamland by uh, Mr. Quinones, I can think of his first name, but it really gets into it. And, and the Mexican cartel that really started the heroin push into Appalachia mm-hmm. weren't, um, they had a mandate that the people that worked for them did not use because it yeah. would cloud their judgment and become about them, not about getting other people to use or buy their product, buy their drug. I mean, that's how powerful it is. That's how powerful it is. Yeah, just Absolutely. like that just is like what that. I've heard. That's yeah. what I've heard, too. I'm fortunate that I have been through it. Wow. That's amazing. So uh, is is this a uh, is this bill going to pass? Is well, the bill a- passed and was signed into law last year. Okay, gotcha. So we're now doing oversight of implementation of the mm-hmm. And locally here in South Central Kentucky, specifically, do, do you know how that's going to be implemented? Well, they're here? trying to put out grant programs uh, for, and, and each state can compete. Uh, it will, so I'll, two things to that. So my specific part of it, so hopefully we'll have a recovery center that will meet, apply. We've worked yeah. with some already to make sure what the criteria are, apply, and be successful with it. But it was over an $80 million grant uh, announced for the University of Kentucky coming out of the Support Act that I my district goes uh, – have Garrett County, Jesmond County, Mercer County, Boyle County. So Boyle and Jesmond are in the, the service area for the grant mm-hmm. that was just announced. And it's gonna it's dealing with the University of Kentucky doing research to try to come up with best practices in recovery. Yeah. And that was uh, that's already in place. Uh, they had a celebration about it about two weeks ago in Kentucky yeah. and it's just getting started at the University of Kentucky. So yeah, Kentuckians are starting, I think four states, mm-hmm. Massachusetts, Ohio, us, and I can't think of the the fourth one, yeah, um, were selected to be part of this study. So, yeah, Kentuckians are going to directly benefit from it. So, uh, I may go off the rails here just a little bit, but you know, I'll share with you. I'm a Christian man. I, mm-hmm. I believe that you are too. Absolutely. How much would you like to see faith incorporated in this as well? Well, you know, th- that's the best way. The faith-based part of it yeah. is is that when people can say there's a higher power, I need to change my behavior. I need to do something different. I think the twelve step. I've never been through a twelve step, or, or but I understand they call about a higher power, and and they do. Mm-hmm. It does a lot on faith. So. That is absolutely the best way. But yeah. if that doesn't work for some people, and we know it doesn't work for some people, and some people don't have the different levels of faith, and sometimes mm-hmm. they have faith, but they still have other issues, and then the other, the, the, the medical-assisted treatment, yeah. and then just the Vivitrol, the others, they just take you away from cravings for that. As far as funding is concerned, are there any limitations uh, between having you know churches or faith-based organizations involved in this? No. I mean, uh, okay. not, that's not my understanding, is that if it's a faith— Well, the, the thing is you have to have faith-based, so I'm not sure if it would actually be set in a church, but a recovery center right. would, uh, would have to have some faith-based to be part of this specific grant yeah. because it tries to see— Tries to get people into the right a treatment for themselves. It's uh, I'm really, uh, really honored that, or not honored, but I'm really floored by you know you, you've incorporated that into the bill as well. I think that's an excellent way to well, approach that works it. For, when, so when you say faith based, most people would consider that the Alcoholic Anonymous twelve step. Gotcha. So that yeah. that's the twelve step program. That mm-hmm. There's a higher power. Uh, you move through the steps. It's not just you got to pray. In my view of it, that's yeah. how I would do. It. God, you got to get this out of my system. Yeah. You got to help me with this. You got to strengthen me. Yeah. But it's not necessarily that, but it is through the, the 12 steps. I, f- I feel like they nowadays a lot of our programs that are government-funded are so stripped of that faith, faith-based faith component. That's the word faith. You can't do anything with I'd it. I'd love yeah. to see that come back, obviously. So, well, that's that's amazing. Um, so let's talk about your legislative session. You've got another couple of weeks to go. What what do you have in the works there? Well, our big uh, thing is uh, we're, we got to get through spending bills. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the thing that's, that's moving. I'm not on those, I'm not on the appropriations committee, 
the committee that I'm on that this is what I would like to be our number one priority that that's probably not going to happen is is dealing with prescription drug prices. Yeah. I think that we've exposed the the rising costs of uh, of of insulin for people who are diabetic. We've yeah. gone through all these different things and we were hoping to do a bipartisan bill that moved forward. Uh Speaker Pelosi chose not to go that direction. We just put a put a bill out of committee to go to the floor of the house probably next week that really I think strangles um Innovation and research. As a matter of fact, the, the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office said, if we go down the path, well, essentially is that Medicare Part D, which most other drug, uh, most other insurance companies follow, would just mandate what the prices for these drugs are. Now, some of these drugs are coming out. They're blockbuster drugs. They're expensive. We have three. You have uh, three buckets of dr- drug pricing issues. One is just insulin that's just increasing. There's really no reason for it. It's mm-hmm. just. Um, getting to the root cause of it and solving that problem without unintended consequences of where we were working to get right. The other one is the EpiPen, where a, a, a hedge fund manager says, oh, every school mandates EpiPen. It's the only one on the market. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to hold everybody hotches and raise up, raise up, raise the price. That should be dealt with the Judiciary Committee and made illegal and stop yeah. that from moving forward. It's so the insulin side, we have to dig be, it. Would that be predatory? Predatory like, purchasing. Yeah. There, that's in yeah. the, that's, you know, the Judicial Committee could deal with that as well, but I'm on the Energy and Commerce Committee. So you've got those. The other thing of the rising cost of health care is just these blockbuster drugs that come out. You know, we can cure, cure hepatitis C, used to be yeah. cured with a liver transplant, now cured with a pill. Um, we can cure sickle cell anemia. There's mm-hmm. a cure. They think they're looking at, they have the artificial, and some of these are devices, artificial pancreas. We think they're actually they're going to create a implanted pancreas that this, that's in the near future if you're diabetic. Wow. Uh, really. Uh, that would change the game. Change the game. Yeah. But. They're going to, the research, so the, the Congressional Budget Office said if we pass the bill, as Speaker Pelosi says, mm-hmm. then it, we see 10 to 15, they believe the investment will be 10 to 15 blockbuster drugs won't come to market over the next 10 years. They didn't say which, they just said that would restrain uh, right. pharmaceutical companies from moving. Now, we need to have them restrain when they're raising prices on insulin and things like that. We don't need to stop their research. Yeah. And, and so... What are they going to? What are we going to lose? The cure for diabetes, the cure for Alzheimer's. That's what this bill could do. Because what it does, it really gets at the money that it just gets the overall money of the system. It just takes money out of the system. But a lot of that money goes into research. Hmm. So, you know, like I said, curing hemophilia is right around the corner. People with cystic fibrosis are going to live to be seventy. Now, because the reason the reason it really restrains that because this whole system is set up for. I go out and I create a new drug. It's in a pill form, and I produce a million pills, and I send them out into the marketplace. That's how pharmaceuticals used to work. Now, with sickle cell anemia, what it does is says, Brett, if I had it, I don't. But if you had it, they say, Brett, you come into the doctor's office. We're going to take a draw. We're going to look at your genetic makeup. Here's your genetic marker that's causes sickle cell. We're going to change that genetic markup, create a, essentially a procedure, but a, but a pharmaceutical, and put it back into your body. And then that, the, the correct gene fixes, overtakes the mu- mutated gene mm-hmm. and not no longer have sickle cell. That's, that's happens. Now, that's not, what is this, what is this pill at the pharmacy? Yeah. What is this bottle of 10 pills at the pharmacy? It's not one also, size fits all. It's not one size fits all. It's engineered directly yeah. for that person. And that's expensive to do. So the thing, so what was said in this hearing, when we said this is stuff we're going to lose, somebody said, well, so we lose it. People can't pay for it. So what do we lose anyway? Mm-hmm. That's what was said. Another guy says, this is quote, these are quotes, 10 to 15 people, 10 to 50, if we're going to lose 10 to 15 blockbuster drugs, that's the price we pay for cheaper drugs for everybody. 
Hmm. Well, if you're if you have if it what if it cured diabetes? What if it cured uh, pancreatic yeah. cancer? What if it cured Alzheimer's? We don't know what those cure. And the third one somebody said was, and I'll this is a accurate rendition of what he said. He said, "Well, I know people at drug companies, and they're still going to do these 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 uh, blockbuster drugs because that's who they are. That's what they do. That's what they want to be." You're enabling them. Well, the whole bill, <laughs> the whole bill that. was premised on and and accurate in some ways. Of if you look at EpiPen, you look at instance some others that people in the pharmaceutical world and not just pharmaceutical through the whole in, the whole pharmaceutical chain, yeah. the manufacturer, the pharmacy benefit manager, the health insurance company, till it gets down to the retail uh, pharmacist, there's all this fluff and that's where it's coming from. Hmm. But the idea is we're going to have to have price controls because we can't trust pharmacies, but even though we can't trust them, I trust trust them in pricing their product. I trust them to do research, even if they're not going to make any money off of it. Hmm. And I just think that's a big stretch. Things are, big, I think those if, are all given the things troubling. that are coming down the pike. We yeah. really have. I mean, literally, people are going to be able to be cured of sickle cell anemia. So what we're used to, what we're used to is, and this is what this whole. That's why government's behind innovation. This whole law is premised on, like Lipitor. I've mm-hmm. got to go buy Lipitor. And I got to take it every month. I take one pill a day, and I got to take it for the rest of my life. And it's expensive. I don't know if Lipitor is. I don't take it. But just an example, a maintenance drug for the rest of my life, and it's too expensive, and I want it to be cheap. When you do the sickle cell anemia pharmaceutical uh, setup procedure, you don't go back. You're done. Right. So let's say we have a several hundred thousand dollar upfront one-time cost that you never go back and get your cure. I mean, you're just like me. So somebody that has sickle cell that goes through this process will be like me now that doesn't. And so, this, so the system isn't set up to pay a lot of money up front mm-hmm. in this bill, but what this bill doesn't take that into account. So yeah. what, it, what it's really targeted on is what people are the most frustrated with are taking routine medicines that seem to be going up in price every year when there seems to be no reason for it. And, right. and we, we were bipartisan going after that. But now that they've gone down this direction and it's going to limit the research that we're doing that's changing people's lives. Yeah. People surviving childhood cancers, people, you know, pancreatic cancer is something that's been a death sentence that's got some hope. Yeah. Stage four melanoma now, they can cure. They're going in actually, <laughs> with this is, comes off, the, so this is what I do every day. And so people, what do you do in D.C.? I don't see you on Fox talking about impeachment. I'm not on those committees. I'm on this committee. Right. And I've been so inspired by this. It is, is if somebody has cancer now, cancer, particularly blood cancers they can mm-hmm. do this with, they... In, in research settings, can actually take your immune system, train using the, and it was part government. So government's involved in this. Could government map the genome mm-hmm. and said, because no company could afford, there's just no recovery on research dollars to go map the genome that everybody has access to. So government, your tax dollars, map the genome. Now all these smart people in places like Boston, Silicon Valley, Minneapolis are going in in these big research centers and private industry or going in and saying, well, if we know which, if we can map your personal genome, mm-hmm. so it's not like here's a pill that works for everybody else, take it. We can map your personal genetic code. We'll take your immune system. For some reason, your immune system isn't fighting this particular cancer cell because everybody has erratic cells in their body every day. Your immune system just kills them. For some reason, under can- it gets turned off. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's genetic. So like if it's breast cancer, colon cancer, I always say you have a history of that in your family. So the mutation on your gene to keep it from firing, to kill these cancer cells, is genetic. They can go find that gene if it's a genetic cancer. Yeah. 
Now, if you smoke or whatever, that's a different story. But if it's genetic cancer, find that gene, turn the gene on, is supposed to, and put it back in your body, and it kills cancer. So, We've seen that in stage four melanoma in research settings. Yeah, and that's what this is going to hurt. So the so if you did the upfront cost to do the genetic therapy, I think it maybe is the word you would use. I don't know. Um, that also prevents complications down the road that you would spend more money on too, right? Right. Well, the thing with sickle cell is your plasma, your um, bone marrow. So when they take your genetic code out, mm-hmm. change it and put it back in, it's your bone marrow. So you're not having all the problems. So I know I have a couple of friends that have had bone marrow transplants, and they're just issues with that because for the rest of their life they fight rejection, they fight other things. They're now, instead of having to get a bone marrow transplant, they're fixing your bone marrow. <laughs> they're nice. taking your bone marrow out, correcting the problem, and putting it back in. Yeah. That's why it works in blood cancers because the problem, if it's just a tumor in your head or some other things like that, it's hard to get it back into your system where the genetic takes over. But when it's a blood cancer, lymphomas, mm-hmm. all of those, and a lot of melanoma that metastasizes, they fix your, they fix your bone. It's your own bone marrow. Wow. And so it just, but it's not cheap, yeah. but we don't need to stop researching it because things get cheap over time. And so yeah. if we just stop it now because, well, it's just too expensive on day, from day one, then right. we're never going to have them. And this could, never be the, gonna have this them. could be the offspring to other treatments, too, down Absolutely. the road. Absolutely. They just keep feeding it. Well, who would have thought the guy told me uh, uh, Francis Collins' his name. Matter of fact, I told him, I specifically told Francis Collins, head of the NIH, he led the Genome Project. And I was reading a book by a guy named Michael Porter from, I think Michael Porter, Stephen Pinker, I'm sorry, from, from Harvard, that talked about miracles and how really well we live today. I mean, go back to how your grandparents lived. Basically, how we live today. <laughs> he goes, everybody lives so much better. We're not diseased. We're not worried about dysentery. We're not worried about typhoid. We're not worried about all these things that, that you know, just a few generations in America you worried about. And, but everybody's upset about the way the world is because we feel, I guess we compare ourselves to each other instead of how the progress we've made. Yeah. But he said, breakthroughs in medicine used to be so astounding that the, the person who created the breakthrough became a household name. Jonas Salk, yeah. Louis Pasteur, polio. Madame Curry, yeah, polio, yeah. Jonas Salk, Louis Pasteur, um, they became household. Now, these breakthroughs are coming every day, and mm. but they're expensive, and we have to figure out a way to, to, but we don't need to stop them. We need to, once they get invented or created, mm-hmm. we need to figure out a way to pay for them, and that's something I've been working on. This stuff doesn't get on cable news every night. It's too complicated to explain. Yeah. That's why I'm glad we have the time that we have to do this, because you can't do it in a... Yeah. 30 second sound bite. <laughs> but, but what you can do in a 30 second sound bite, and, and they're doing it, is the Democrats' majority has a bill that's going to lower drug prices for every American, and Republicans are, are not supporting that specific bill. Yeah. They don't say that specific. What they don't say is that we were working on these routine medicines that people deal with every day while not sacrificing the blockbuster future that, that's here and is coming. Yeah. It's right around the corner. Wow. Well, we can fit this into a 30-minute podcast. <laughs> we can do it, yes. That's why I like yeah. to – that's why it's hard to do late-night cable television because yeah. you just don't get to this level of detail. Well, it sounds like you got, you're got working your tail off in Washington. Thank you for everything you're doing for our for our district well, and, and our region, it. too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it sounds like you're really passionate about the pharmaceutical regulation and research. Um, and uh, We have I, to I, preserve the research and fix the problem. Yeah. But yeah. not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Okay. Uh, anything that's on your mind right now that you want to tell the listeners? As well, I just hope that we get to a point where we can govern and get things done in Washington, D.C. Um, personally, I don't see how Speaker Pelosi 
after everything that they've done and where we are, we'll come back in, in a few weeks or a few months and say, there's no there there. They're, gonna, they're creating a there. Otherwise, they would do it in public. Mm-hmm. So they're going to come up with some there. And so I think we're going to be down the path that not only does the House vote to impeach, if it gets 218, because there's 231 or 32 Democrats, so it takes 218 to impeach. Then it goes to the Senate for a trial. So that's going to tie up the Senate. Mm-hmm. Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, has to preside. They're going to top the Supreme Court. So on the basis of this phone call and all these private, hidden meetings, it's really going to stop our government for the next year and a half. Unfortunately, hopefully we can still get things done like um, the new uh, NAFTA and the other things like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I really doubt they're going to be. Able. They can't even sit in the same room together to negotiate. So how Holy are we going to get to the final solution? I'm worried about funding the government at the end of the year. We, every year since the 1950s, when Republicans were in control in a bipartisan way, passed author- authorizing our military. Our army has to be authorized every year. Constitution mm-hmm. says every two years, we do it every year. It, that runs out. And so the fact that we can't sit down and give our men and women serving in uniform the, con- the stamp of approval from Congress. Uh, wow. It, it takes, people say, why aren't you doing it? You're a member of Congress. Well, the majority runs the schedule. Yeah. And so it's Speaker Pelosi, and they've chosen to go down the path of impeachment. And I know a lot of people in my district, there's some, I get emails from people that are support the impeaching, but the vast majority don't. And most people want America to get back to working together and governing and moving this country forward and coming up with these miraculous things, the miraculous inventions that really completely change people's lives. Yeah. Well, Congressman Guthrie, I want to thank you for coming in and once again to be part of our State of the State segment. Of course, we'll get this up on our podcast and get it out to your constituents. Uh, thank you Thanks for, for all the insight, man. It's just incredible to talk to you, man. I love your yeah. way of thinking and, and how you talk about things. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me here. Appreciate it very much. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Big Rick Podcast. Remember to subscribe on iHeartRadio, Apple, or Google Podcasts or anywhere podcasts are heard. See exclusive video interviews and content now with the Big Rick in the Morning YouTube channel. Subscribe now at onairwithrick.com.